Welcome to the Literacy Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gabriel. You are going to love this show. This is an episode from our first series, which is focused on doing intervention online. And today we get to hear from not one, not two, but three literacy specialists that work together at an elementary school in Connecticut. I call this group the dream team, and you're about to see why. They are doing some really careful work fitting their intervention within a rapidly changing context for kids learning from home. And they are reimagining what connection can look like over time and space and being really creative about how to provide a whole continuum of different kinds of supports for emerging readers. I can't wait for you to hear from them. So without further ado, let's have them introduce themselves. Now, I've known Stephanie a long time, almost as long as I've been in Connecticut. So I'm going to ask uh, you to go first. And thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Sure. Um, my name is Stephanie McNamara. I'm a reading consultant at Coventry Grammar School in Coventry, Connecticut. And this is my second year there. Um, and I get to have the honor of working with kids every day and adults. So my name is Hallie Wells, and I am a reading teacher at Coventry Grammar School in Coventry, Connecticut. And this is my second year teaching reading intervention to students at, in Coventry. Nice. Welcome. Okay. Liz. My name is Liz Larson. I'm also a reading teacher at Coventry Grammar School in Coventry, Connecticut. And we work with kindergarten through second grade students who receive either reading intervention or um, specialized instruction through IEP hours. Oh, both. Okay, yes, cool. We work with both. Yep. And I'm all, this is also my second year at Coventry Grammar School. We all started together. So for many, many reasons, this is a dream team I have come to find out. <laughs> Um, tell us a little bit about this team and um, how you came to work together all at the same time in Coventry and what you do as a team together. Yeah, I'll start. Um, we were all three hired uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. as a, um, a new reading um, program. Mm -hmm. So before our, we arrived there, we had a lot of our reading services provided by paraeducators. Mm -hmm. um, and so our district vision was for um, more specialized instructors to come in. So basically we came into a brand new room, the three of us figuring it out together. And I think honestly, that's kind of what brought us together as a team is that we were all new figuring it out mm -hmm. together. And when you're new, to have people to figure that out with is so important. Yes. Um, <laughs> So would you start by telling us, had any of the three of you had any experience teaching reading intervention online before? No. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't taught anything online before. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. Okay. So in the last couple of weeks, you have dreamed up a way to make something happen. And can you tell me first about um, how the process of figuring out what you were going to do? And then tell us about what you're, what you're doing, what you're trying. So um, not only are we starting to do something that we never did before, but we're also um, faced with the struggle of limited materials that we left with or have access to. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of, luckily we did have our district gave us a day to kind of plan and collaborate. And of course we took more than that day. <laughs> um, we kind of just talked through every little minute detail that we could think about of what it looks like in our rooms and how we would make that happen digitally. Um, so it was lots of discussions, lots of changes. And then of course you get the, um, 
administration weighing into about what they want to see and how mm -hmm. that kind of impacts what um, we would do. So um, first we thought about was our programming we use in our district in our regular day when we're in school we use um, LLI mm -hmm. and we also use Orton Gillingham mm -hmm. and um, the LLI books are not able to be used digitally. There's a lot of copyright issues so right away we were given a kind of a roadblock of even if we could get these resources we can't use them to record so we had to find a workaround there um the og because it's more of a method was easy to do just because we could make the materials or we have access to materials that work at home um, so that part was just a matter of making our videos and and having those procedures in place for the kids <laughs> wow Something that we kind of have been experiencing this whole time and probably other people too is that we sort of have an idea and we are you know, ready to go with it and then based off of parent feedback we kind of like take a few steps back. So something that our district decided was um, to not start um, reading intervention the first day when online learning started because so many parents were extremely overwhelmed with we're using Seesaw as our platform for mm -hmm. distance learning and the first day it was really just about the classroom teachers getting work out to students mm -hmm. and then intervention and specialists PE art music came a week later so that was something that we kind of feel helped a little bit to give people time to get comfortable with um, the Seesaw platform and how distance learning was going to look before we added in our layer because something that we've kind of been wondering is should our work be in addition to the classroom work or instead of the classroom work because i guess the state um what they've decided is everyone does four hours a day of online learning to meet the requirements and so we were kind of saying you know if a kid also gets reading and math intervention then are they doing five hours a day of learning and is that fair to put on parents and students to give these kids more you know requirements as opposed to in the regular school day they don't have extra hours they're just doing intervention work instead of um, we use a win block time where it's what i need so everyone in the classroom is working on things they need and students don't miss tier one instruction they just are pulled during that block so that was something that we kind of worked through a little bit to decide and i think we're still trying to figure out you know is our work in addition to or instead of and what's a good balance to make this realistic for parents and students um because ultimately you know just keeping everyone safe and healthy is is the main goal right now and you know not not piling on so much sitting in front of the computer time <laughs> to kids so yeah it's an old familiar tension with intervention like often if somebody needs intervention for one thing it's not just one thing um and kids that need intervention also are often really in need of the the extra things that happen in the day where they can feel excited and engaged and so there's always this um there's always the cost of intervention but then there's always this like time exchange but at least in the school day and it's funny to hear myself say this because i would have said this is one of the major challenges to designing intervention programs in school um, at least it's limited to the school day and now you're not just competing with one other block one other possible thing that could be happening in the schedule you're actually competing with life and not just your child's life but their life in the context of their family who may have other siblings trying to get their four hours in um, and parents doing or caregivers doing whatever they are doing and also as we were talking about earlier dogs 
<laughs> who have needs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sometimes make an appearance during intervention. Um, so, so I really appreciate the whole, this discussion of um, how much is enough and how much is too much. Um, and the topic for our podcast next week is um, intervention in online settings in reading. I'm sorry, by intervention, I definitely mean assessment. <laughs> this week is about intervention. Wow. Um, anyway, we're going to talk next time about assessment and without a, like a massive strategy for understanding how we're tracking progress or what kind of progress we might expect or whether the old ways of thinking about progress even apply. Um, it's hard to know whether we've made the right decision or not because we don't have easy access to the same kind of um, checkpoints along the way to say like, hey, this is working, not working in a very um, quick fashion. So how have you thought about the, the, um, the distribution of instruction? Are you doing whatever, however, how long is your wind block usually? About 30 minute wind block. Are you doing 30 minutes with every kid every day? Tell me about how you've actually <laughs> rolled this out. Yeah, um, well, we've, you know, like Hallie said before, we really tried to think about what we do in our reading room already. Mm -hmm. And then how would that translate? And what is the distribution of time for, you know, direct instruction versus practice? Um, and then the types of practice too, right? What are they, are they reading books? Are they, you know, um, doing their letters and sounds? Whatever it might be. Um, so we break, it, we break it down into tasks. Nice. And we actually, I think because of the, um, understanding that this could happen any time of the day mm -hmm. um, we give our families a week at a time mm. and basically we say to them they're the three tasks four tasks they need to get done this week you can do them anytime mm. you know there's no time constraint for some families who might be having working parents still the evening times might be better for them or the weekends might be better for them so it's that flexibility for time Mm -hmm. is really important. The other thing we considered was the independence of the student mm -hmm. in the task. We've really tried to design, ultimately our intervention can be done by that student independently without a parent, which for a K-2 school, that's really challenging. Yeah. But I think that what we've picked can be done. Once they get familiar with the platforms, they can completely do it themselves. And some feedback that we got from parents is that a lot of kids are liking kind of a checklist style um, thing, just how I do, you know, in my personal life too. I love to have a checklist and the gratification of checking something off. Yeah. So um, we, with our first rollout of these weekly plan sheets, we kind of were just, here's your plan sheet and, and do it. And we might not know if you do the stuff or you don't do the stuff. And, you know, it was kind of round one. And after that feedback from parents that kids wanted a checklist, we made the plan sheets for next week editable mm -hmm. so that um, students or parents could edit them. And we added a column to say check when completed. Um, or we're even thinking if they want to put feedback in there, like, oh, this was really hard or this was too easy, something like that. Um, so that, you know, it's not a mandatory thing that they check it off if people want to interact with it that way they can. But mm -hmm. um, we're thinking just to add a little layer of having that might make this even more interactive and help with communicating back and forth with families and students. And you could get stickers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, really the reason that I like to check things off my to-do list is I give myself little stars. Right. We, we can use emojis as, yeah. as stickers. Yeah, you can send one of those like explosion memes. Yay! <laughs> 
that's really neat and another way to kind of create interaction create digital interaction where there wasn't any before so that's cool it kind of follows the the general trend of you making space to be with your readers when you can't literally be with them that's really exciting and then we're each making videos that are replicating the um three-part drill for Orton Gillingham. So we start with the visual part of the drill and we go through our deck and we kind of give them a little time to say the sound along with us. It kind of reminds me of like Daniel Tiger when he pauses when he's talking to the kids to respond. <laughs> um, we do a little bit of that pause, but we also try to keep the flow of it. Um, and then we have various ways that we're doing the auditory part of the drill. Um, Stephanie and Liz have used a piece of, or a plate with rice on it, and they're doing the sounds along with the kids. I have a whiteboard, um, and we give kids lots of options for how they can do that part of the drill to practice writing the sounds. Um, and then we have our blending board set up, so we, we put three sounds on the blending board, and we're having them sound them out and blend along with us. Um, forgive me. Tell me about this rice on a plate. <laughs> What's so happening? Multi-sensory approach. So the piece oh. of feeling the, um, Orrin Gillingham uses sand, but we used rice because we had it at home. But so mm -hmm. the sense of touch, they use the tips of their fingers and they write the sound, the spelling for the sound of the sand. So for a second grader, they might be spelling O-A says O, and a kindergartner might just be spelling O says O. Okay. Wow. Cool. And then the blending board, can you describe what that looks like and how you- Don't worry, I have my materials right here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have my easel, but I have just two cards here. So I would put them up and they would actually say each sound and then blend them together. So very exciting. That's super exciting. I also see, and you may be getting to this in a moment, but I also see that you're in kind of a, a studio of your own here. There's books <laughs> and birds and flowers displayed. There's posters on the wall. So, but tell me about this studio. Um, so yes, the studio is something we would, we weren't expecting that we would have to ever think about in our career as educators. <laughs> Interior design. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but really what happened is we're not competitive, but we definitely grow off of each other, I would say. No, we're and competitive. We become <laughs> competitive with the YouTube. <laughs> so Liz, and I, Liz made her video first, and she did a very beautiful job. And we used a lot of models off of what Liz did. Um, we even built scripts off of what Liz did the first time. Um, and so Liz, I believe, was working in a room in her house, and I used my basement at first because it was quietest spot and I had a lovely backdrop of like a Mexican woven quilt <laughs> to hide the basement part of my house oh, wow. um, but the lighting was really poor for both of our videos and then mm. Stephanie really steps up the game with her personal recording assistant named Tate who brings out an light and she has a beautiful bookshelf behind her and she just looks lovely and glowing in comparison to our first videos so then of course well to be to be fair Hallie to be fair my my 14 year old daughter is um, a YouTube person of her own she has her own channel so she had already started this journey long before we had to start this journey so we had the whole setup so I'm like, hey, Tate, you're gonna help me here. I gotta record some videos. She's like, no problem, mom. I will be. I will be it. So she actually designed the whole studio with her O light there, and she was my filmer and my editor my first time. Um, so she really helped me get into the YouTube space. 
So oh. once we saw Stephanie's video that looked so professional, um, Hallie and I instantly jumped on Amazon and bought O-Lights so that what we could have- O-Light? It's a, it's a light, I guess, you know, they use it in the YouTuber world, but it's a light that's literally shaped like an O, kind of like makeup artists might use something mm -hmm. to give you good lighting when you're doing makeup. Um, and it has like a selfie stick, it holds your phone and you can control it kind of remotely with a little button so that you don't have to, my first video, I was like holding the phone and trying to hold the cards and spilling okay. sand all over the house. And it was <laughs> difficult. So now that I have my Olight, it, you know, it just holds it right there in front of me, gives me nice lighting. We made fancy backdrops. So we've really um, kind of upped our game. And now uh, we look at how many views each person has gotten on their videos. And right now Stephanie's in the lead with the most views, but I think, you know, I think she may have paid for some of those views. Or, <laughs> we'll see, but it's, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's nice now to kind of have something just, it's a room in my mind's in the basement. It's just kind of set up all the time so that if I need to jump on and make a quick video, I have it all kind of set up right there. All my supplies are right there. So it's taken over a portion of the house, but it's kind of like my little recording studio space makes it easy to, to make a quick video for kids. Oh my goodness. Yes, it's like your rock stars that have created home recording studios yeah. that you so that you can do like unplugged albums at home yeah. between your tours, That's between the live up. shows. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So do you like get all dolled up and ready to go to work downstairs in your recording studio every day? What does this look like? Oh no. We have like <laughs> one day a week where we know we have to actually shower. <laughs> do our makeup and our hair and actually look decent and professional so um these aren't you know in your jammies kind of videos you know we're we're ready to go yeah <laughs> well the top just the top half the bottom it's half true. can still be in the jammies mm -hmm. <laughs> that's true <laughs> and why did you decide this was important or how did how did you learn that it would be important part of it was you know that our district did ask us to try and stick with our OG and LLI programs as much as possible mm -hmm. and brainstorming together we realized OG would be much easier to do through a video um, because we don't need the supplies of kids having books and us having books and kind of that that piece was difficult since we can't get into the school anymore but OG we could really just kind of record a call and response lesson like we do um, you know every day and that would be much easier to start with in terms of recording so we started by recording those lessons and like Hallie said the first week we did a three-part drill and now the second week we're actually introducing new concepts each week so I record the kindergarten videos I introduced SH concept this week Stephanie introduced um, W blends this week for first graders and Hallie I so we kind of you know are once a week recording a new video that would teach a new concept in addition to the three-part drill that reviews all the previous concepts so that was kind of how we started with our videos. And then the second piece we've gotten to is we started incorporating Lexia into our intervention. Um, and that's something that we didn't really use in, at school at all, but we had talked about before mm -hmm. and the district approved it. And it actually gives you a scripted five minute lesson that in the real world you would deliver to the student in class during you know, an intervention block or um, you know, whenever you had the time. But we are now recording those lessons um, and pushing those out to students when they're stuck on something in Lexia. So that's our second layer of recorded videos that we're sending to students. So I just got a notification this morning that a student was stuck on one of the levels in Lexia. So I jumped on and, and 
sent a quick video to her, a quick five minute thing just of what that skill was. And we're making them kind of generic so that we could then use that video if another kid gets stuck on that lesson. Like we're not saying their names in those quick videos so that the next time a kid gets stuck on that part of Lexia, I can send that kid the video too so that we kind of have a library of videos that we can share. And if Stephanie already recorded one for one of her students, I could grab that one and send to one of my students. So we kind of are sharing the, the amount of recording that we're having to do because recording individual videos for every kid every day would be, you know, we, it would be crazy. And then also monitoring the app and the email and all that too. So sharing resources has been really helpful. Do the kids know all of your faces or, or did, they do now, but, but now that you're YouTube stars, did they know you before? So, okay. So those are a familiar teacher comes to them via the internet and explains yes. a new concept. That's really exciting. And so we pick up our kids for intervention when we're in the school. So mm -hmm. we always would go as a group and walk together as a group. So the kids, even though they might not know all of our names, definitely would recognize our faces. Mm -hmm. And your capes. I think that's important to note though, the video aspect was one of the decisions was we wanted them to see our faces and intervention is a relationship, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. Kids need to have relationships with their teachers and for the, for us, that video was really important, you know, to them to see us each week, each day, whatever it might be. Um, helps them, you know, I've had a couple parents say, oh, they follow right along with that. You know, they really love it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that because it was something that was familiar to them already, mm -hmm. it, it kind of made a good, an easier transition to, yep. to doing it digitally. <clears throat> yep. And I really appreciate the, um, the investment in the aesthetic appeal, I guess you could say, of the videos. It reminds me a lot of, um, you know, the fitness industry had this problem, um, had to solve this problem of remote teaching and learning maybe 15 years ago or longer than that. Um, and so, and if you look at like old um, exercise videos online, they're terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like, the quality isn't good and there's mistakes in them and, um, and they're just not edited the way they are now, but um, so much of getting somebody engaged in practice um, that they do every day over time is making them want to turn it on and making it look like real people that really look right at them in the camera and really care about them and are speaking to them, even if it's not to you, your personal name, um, mm -hmm. that, uh, that really engage with you as if they are there to coach you. Um, and, you know, as teachers, put videos together in various forms. I'm, I don't mean to send the message at all that everybody needs to like set up a home studio and have Tate come and consult, although probably <laughs> they should. Um, but I think the investment in that is really important. And I think it's, it's showing uh, that it's one way to get at that um, relationship part without mm -hmm. doing individual, you know, 30 minute sessions with every child, which you know, might sound nice in one way, but in another way takes away from their day and creates challenges for the families. And so I really appreciate the way that you've thought about how do we preserve the um, personal relationship feel uh, by creating kind of a world for you as a person online. Like you've created yourself as a YouTube person um, <laughs> that they can interact with. And uh, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Who knew? I know. <laughs> Have you gotten any feedback on these videos? Are, are they public? Like, can people watch you? 
Not right now. Um, you, if you have a link, you can watch them. So people who have received our link might have seen one. So the count is not like because everybody... No, it's not a real count. Yeah. You, you haven't it's done viral. The link. <laughs> <laughs> Getting close. I don't know. So, <laughs> no. But have you gotten any feedback from, uh, you started to say maybe a little bit about families from kids from families or from colleagues about how they're going and if they're being used, what, what's, um, what's, the, what's the word? Um, just a little bit of informal from families that the kids really like them. I think right now, because they are private, they're not out there, mm -hmm. even, you know, so I'm not sure how many people see them, but um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I can tell you right now that Stephanie's video, um, OG three part drill of blends, her first video has 106 views. Wow. And six is more than one per kid that you were potentially planning for. And those videos probably aren't for every kid there, you know, for one kind of level at a time. Yeah, exactly. So they are being watched. That's exciting. I also like the idea that you can tell if people have at least turn them on, like who knows what they're doing when they watch, but that you can track that um, piece of it too. Mm -hmm. And the way that you've captured the same, um, the piece of intervention where you listen to kids read and notice what they're doing and provide support at the point of need, you've kind of found a way to do that without being with them via Alexia, which isn't perfect. However, what's perfect is the consistency of it and the way that you could be systematic about it. Um, mm -hmm. well, and so that's super exciting. We're yeah. also um, starting a new thing next week, so check back with us. <laughs> um, but we're going to use Raz Kids as a platform um, and have the students first listen to the book, but then Raz Kids allows them to record themselves reading the book. Yeah. Um, so that's our next step for next week is to have them record their reading mm -hmm. of a book at their instructional level. Mm -hmm. And they even provide benchmark books so we could do a running record if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, and that way we can give feedback to the children about maybe things that they got stuck on and giving them a strategy to try for next time or even just to be able to compliment them for things that they're doing well yeah 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 send some encouragement that's super exciting and that would be individual so you've really built like the entire I mean maybe I shouldn't say the entire because you probably have more tricks up your sleeve but you built kind of a continuum of um generic to individual but made it so that you could individualize how they interact with it um, wow, this is super exciting. Okay, tell me more. What else have you thought about? What else are you trying to hold on to or design for? And then what's something that you left behind that you're kind of like, mm, too bad about that? I think one thing we haven't started yet is to um, teach new sight words. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably going to be our next layer. Nice. Um, currently, we're having um, one of the things our, our, our district's really good about utilizing our, our people well. And so our paraprofessionals right now, what are they doing, right? Hmm. Um, they're doing, they're working. And one of the things that they're doing is they are providing, um, gathering and um, delivering instructional materials to children. Wow. And so right now, one of our um, paraprofessionals is putting together literacy kits for kids, which will include um, things that they might need that they don't already have. And one of those things is some material to teach sight words with. So I think that's our next layer is, you know, sight words coming from maybe the book they're reading from Raz Kids mm -hmm. um, and then having them apply that learning in the reading of that book. So wow. I think that's our next step. Um, I think one thing we're still working on is 
you know, the simultaneous piece, like you said, having a kid read and to be able to give them instant feedback. Cause I feel like so much in intervention, um, so much of the, the growth that happens is because of that exchange of, you know, a child reading a page and then right there being able to give them feedback. Um, we, our district has considered using Google Meets and Zoom, um, but there's definitely, again, that struggle of, you know, how often do we offer that? And, mm -hmm. you know, there's all these issues of getting permission, but also, you know, even if we had two kids together, um, the idea of confidentiality of maybe this student's receiving services, you know, it kind of lets other families know who is getting services. Mm -hmm. um, so we haven't quite figured that piece out yet. And I probably think that's the piece that I miss the most because I feel like that's when I really do my best instructing is when a child is reading and that's when they do their best learning because the reading is the practice. Mm -hmm. So we definitely miss that piece and we quite haven't figured out yet how to fit it in. Okay. So before intervention would happen only when we had an available slot for an available grade level at an available time. Mm -hmm. um, and we tried the best that we could to arrange groups together that, you know, kids that have similar needs together, or, you know, if a student was better in the morning than they were in the afternoon, we tried to take that into consideration as much as we could. Mm -hmm. um, but now all of that has kind of fizzled away because if we can provide it digitally, then it's kind of like at the family and the child's choice of when mm -hmm. they're going to do their best learning and they're going to be available for learning. So mm -hmm. I don't miss that piece of having to force a child maybe at a time when they're not feeling like they're ready to learn and now the learning happens whenever they're ready. That's like the parallel of what Stephanie was saying about when you guys want to talk and need to talk you can and when they want want to um, engage with instruction they can. Um, that's cool. I think like that kind of freedom if you were working by yourself in isolation would be maybe not a silver lining but um, because you have each other, it really mirrors, you know, I asked how this dream team got started and I call you that because you've done some really innovative things. You'll be on the podcast a lot, just saying. Um, and also, um, it's obvious that you enjoy working together, which is not always the case with colleagues and work closely together, which is really cool. Um, and you were saying how that started because you all had a challenge that you were tackling together at the same time and you sort of once again all have a challenge that you're tackling together at the same time, but time and space to do that. And uh, during the school day, you may not have had uh, as much time and space to do that. And it reminds me of how, you know, when they do international comparisons um, of different school systems, how the amount of time that US teachers spend uh, actually delivering instruction is really high compared to teachers in other high-performing countries where their planning and collaboration time um, far outweighs the time they actually spend teaching. And that there may be something to that. There may be something to saying instead of, I don't know what it really is, but instead of like two-thirds teaching, one-third getting ready, <laughs> if there was like two-thirds of the time spent collaborating and talking and designing instruction, um, less instruction, smaller packages, more intense and intentional, and the result of three minds instead of one um, may not need to last that long. Yeah. And you have freedom that you may not have had in a school situation where the message basically is this is the program and you do this thing over and over and you have daily routines and you do them and the amount of your day that is uh, new and creative um, shrinks over time. So this is uh, an interesting opportunity for people that were interested in being creative, you know, for folks that have 
producers in their households for their YouTube channels and interior decorators for their home studios and, you know, other things that are the mark of the creative life. I agree. I mean, we should be creative every day, right? So this <laughs> has been a kind of a nice way to kind of have that outlet of creativity. For sure. to hear about what you bring back from this time too. Uh, if there are tools, you're creating this whole database of videos and like what, um, what role might those play in, in the future lives of your students as readers? And um, I don't know what else people might wanna be bringing back, but I think it's encouraging that this isn't just a holding period um, or, and isn't just sort of a period marked by loss and grief, although there is certainly loss and there is certainly grief, especially for the interactions. Um, that we uh, might have been having with children live. Um, there are also some really cool things coming out. So that's ex um, super encouraging. I love it. Cool. All right. Thank you all three of you Dream Team members for being part of this podcast. I'm really excited to be able to share some of your ideas with other people. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Take good care. Bye. And that's it for this chat. You can find our guests' contact information by navigating from our website, reading.education.ucon.edu, and clicking on podcast. We'll also have a transcript of this conversation and links to some of the tools and ideas mentioned here. Don't forget to like, subscribe, download, share, and check back here next week for a new series of podcasts from your UConn Literacy Fellows. Thanks for listening.